0: Hey, everybody, this is Chris Ryan, co-author of Sex at Dawn. Hope you enjoy that signed copy Kyle's sending you. Uh, Don't lend it to the wrong friends, though. It could really fuck up your friendship. Take it easy.
1: What's up, my friends? You heard him. This month's box of goodies includes a signed copy of Sex at Dawn, along with a jar of Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD coconut oil, and a can of mud water, which is a chai mushroom blend. It has reishi, cacao, turmeric, lion's mane, all kinds of good stuff. Um, I use both those products most mornings, and I'm also good friends with both of the owners. Recently, I... Um, was going through a pretty rough patch with my arm. Uh I snapped my arm a couple months ago and it that whole, you know, hey, just maintain a positive mindset is uh so much easier said than done. And it was healing more slowly than it should have. And I called Brendan, who I consider a friend and is the founder of Santa Cruz Medicinals, and I said, Hey man, I need some help. What should I do? And he said, Okay, this is what you do. You cut out all bread all alcohol we're gonna get you on a um a really good diet uh you know injuries are scary but we're gonna get through this and just he gave me this kind of protocol that allowed the whole situation to feel a lot more manageable um before i called him i was basically just laying in my own vomit listening to dust in the wind and sobbing my eyes out so thanks brendan you really pulled me back from the ledge. And then I called my friend Shane, who uh, is the owner of Mudwater. And both of these guys just know so much about health. It, um, In addition to being grateful that they sponsor my podcast, I'm very grateful that they're um, just such good resources for me um, as I'm trying to get better. And I'm happy to report yesterday I went surfing for the first time. And it was so fucking fun. I haven't surfed in over two months. And I caught a wave and literally screamed when I kicked out like a little like ah, to back I'm back. I was just longboarding, but oh, God, it felt good. It felt so good. Um, OK, so the box of goodies, it can be sent to your doorstep, signed copy of Sex Dawn, Mud Mudwater, Santa Cruz Medicinal CBD. Um, Go to kyle.surf or kyle.surf slash box of goodies and you will get all three of those products at a greatly discounted price. For anyone who ordered last month's box with the book The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, um, I am sending them out. Um, There was a little delay on getting products, so i've got that all sorted but it is a one-man band over here at the kyle tierman show so i really appreciate you for being patient with me um but i've gotten a lot of good feedback from uh everyone who who's been getting their boxes of goodies so it just warms my little heart when i get those message messages from you and you know if you like this podcast reach out to chris um because he would appreciate messages too um Chris Ryan is the co-author of Sex at Dawn. He is the co-creator of the Motherfucker Awards with me, and he is the host of Tangentially Speaking, which is one of the best podcasts out there. Um, We were planning on going to Austin, Texas, uh, April 5th through 7th to do a little Motherfucker Awards tour. I guess it's not really a tour if you're just going to one spot, but... We ended up canceling that trip, unfortunately. Um, There were some scheduling conflicts. We would love to make it out to Austin because I have some good friends out there that I want to see, but it won't be this time around. But I will keep you all informed on when we do that. Austin's a really cool place. Um, A lot of good rivers out there. I had a chance to lay out in the sun on a river not too long ago in Austin, Texas and really enjoyed it. I am still giving my speech at the University of Rhode Island on April 10th. If you are in the area, I hope you can make it. I would love to go out and have a beer with you afterwards. And I'm going to be giving a lot of speeches at schools this year. So if you are listening in and you go to university, feel free to get in touch at info at kyle.surf. And maybe we can work something out. I'd love to go give a speech at your school. With that... Please welcome to the show one of my close friends and someone who has had a tremendous impact on my life, Dr. Christopher Ryan. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen,
2: and that being my job.
1: Standing at a right. desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Right. Smiles and thumbs up.
2: Welcome to the Show. pretty good.
1: I was thinking about this podcast for quite some time before this because there are these various moments um, that are like in my life that I feel are punctuated. And I was thinking about the first podcast that we ever did when I came down to LA mm. and you had me on your show. And that was this kind of, it was like a really big deal for me that like, you were like, cool, I'm going to let you come on here. Mm. And then you kind of took me under your wing and you know, we've done podcasts since then we did the motherfucker awards. Um, and to f- look back at that first one until now. Yeah. And, have experienced the kind of growth that I have Over the last three years Was that three years? I think that was three years ago Ew, Isn't that crazy? Yeah And um I was thinking also about How you know The the Motherfucker Awards was Like I've never put my heart and soul into anything Like I have with that And uh I was reflecting on why like, what, Like what was it really Because You know I would consider you in in a lot of ways a mentor, but a lot of t- a lot of times what we're doing we're just kind of hanging out yeah like it's not really you giving me advice in the way that y- that you would traditionally think that, and I realized that I think that the reason I put my heart and soul so much into the motherfucker awards was just out of this like intense d- devotion not to let you down. <laughs> it was like like as soon as you put yeah. your name on it. And as soon as, and then I was thinking about what, about how that's kind of like more than half of mentorship is just like putting yourself in relationship to someone else Hmm. where you are forced to give it your all for fear of, of letting them down. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't know that I'm
0: as protective Of my reputation as you are of my reputation. Right. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Like I'm not as worried about letting myself down. So I think part of it is just you. It's your approach to things like you're you follow through to the ultimate degree on stuff. You decide to do something. So in other words, I guess what I'm saying is that's beautiful. And I'm glad if if I somehow inadvertently help you get shit done. Um, but I still think it's coming from you, Hmm. you know what I mean? Like I, the thing is that the, the mentorship and all that, um, it's a funny relationship because I've been on the other side of it my whole life, you know, have older people who've sort of given me their time and attention. And so you and I have talked about this and how it's kind of novel for me now to be the older one and, uh, and like one of the things i think that's interesting is like you get to know someone and the the status difference disappears right you know what i mean like you know I'm full of shit half the time. Right. I mean, you didn't know that when you met me. You probably thought I was like a lot smarter than now you know I'm Well
1: that that's the what they always say if you uh if you love an author make sure never to meet him. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: You've definitely seen behind the curtain, you know. So, yeah, I mean whatever. However that I, works for you is great. Right. But uh, but it's
1: it, it's interesting because I don't hold you uh, like I respect you and I respect the way that you think I think that you've helped me think more deeply about things but I don't hold you on a pedestal but it was interesting for me to notice like when I was that for that whole couple months that I was in LA you know working my ass off to to pull it off it was it was this feeling of like I will not fail because it's almost like I there are these points in life where you have people pull you up and, like, recognize something within you that maybe you haven't fully recognized in yourself or, or haven't been willing to acknowledge. And that's needed. Like, I, I wish I could say, like, oh, I've just always believed in myself so much. I never needed anyone. But I, when I look back at the kind of arc of my life thus far, there have been people who have pulled me up and then gave me the confidence to follow through on, on things. And I've, I've heard you use this, this analogy where, like, sometimes you can give people the opposite of a scar. Mm. Like, and I feel like I got that from the motherfucker awards. Like, right. like we pulled something off that can never be taken away. Right. Like, and, and I remember a few nights after the awards show, you, you told me, you're like, it was just really fun to have shared that with you. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's interesting for me to almost take that experience as a spiritual experience like that that you don't need to necessarily retreat you know into the void to have this great spiritual experience but to, for me to fully sink my teeth into something hmm. and and put myself out there in that way and then feel this kind of embodiment of like knowing that I can do something like that was really um yeah it was special in a way that I don't think I've been able to I've had before hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, the the reason I'm I'm a little uh, hesitant to go along with like you did this not to disappoint me is that I remember very clearly saying like we should this should just be an online thing, remember? I mean that was right. you know this is going to be too much hassle. This is too <laughs> yeah. much. You got to get all these people together, all these comedians who were paying peanuts or nothing. Uh, they've got other shit to do. Things are going to come up at the last minute. This is going to be a giant pain in the ass and it's going to be your giant pain (laughs) in the ass because I'm not going to deal with this shit. I got other stuff I got to do or mm, stuff I'm not going to do. Right. Yeah. I was just like, I, great idea, but this is going to be a pain in the And and it's like, you want to do it, you do it, but I'm not. So Yeah, I mean, and then we sort of went with that for a while, and then a week or two later, you were like, no, Chris, I think I I really want this to be an event. It's, you know, we got to really have a live event and people there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're crazy, dude. Right. All right.
1: Well, do do you know who... who, who's kind of solidified that thought for me was Neil Strauss, mm, yeah. which is also is kind of uh, poetic in the way that the first day I ever met you, mm. a few years ago, right. when we were going to do a podcast, you're like, hey, you know, my buddy Neil is learning how to surf. Would you be interested in taking him surfing? Right. So I met him the same day that I met you, right. and we were out surfing. I was thinking, hey, so we're going to do the motherfucker words, but it's going to be a lot more simple if we j- just do it as an online thing, and we. It's not a live event. And uh, Neil was like, well, here's my argument for doing an a, an online or a, a full live event. It's like, it's going to be easier to get people to show up to your live event than it will be to get them to watch a YouTube video.
0: Strangely enough. Strangely enough. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. That's funny. I was I was just talking with a friend about Neil the other day. I've known Neil for, I don't know, six years or something. And I've had very few... Conversations where Neil and I sat down and just hung out and talked to each other. Nor there's people coming and going. There, there's you know phone calls and assistants coming in and all this sort of constant chaos around him. Not it's not chaos, but it's interruptions. And I said to this friend, you know, fucking Kyle, he's probably had. More conversations with Neil than anybody because they go out and they're sitting on the waves and there's nothing else there and they're just talking and it's like that's the way you have to you need to get Neil like right. in the middle of the ocean
1: yeah literally. <laughs> to
0: actually have a conversation with yeah
1: him. and we have great conversations out there man it's like it's a like I give him advice on his pop-up and bottom turn and then he gives me writing advice yeah. and life advice and it's um mm. I, one the reason i like him is that he really does kind of give it away like you can tell he wants he genuinely wants the best for other people and yeah. and yeah. he's willing to lend his mind to them i've, I've always really and it's a hell of a mind too hell of a mind yeah i mean yeah. The, he's he says things and, and it's so precise and it's such the right moment mm. that you can, there's a reason why he is who he is and yeah. has accomplished it. I think that, you know, and just to, as we're kind of dissecting the motherfucker awards in retrospect a little bit, um, another aspect that was so beautiful for me was how many people showed up through the podcast.
0: Hmm people flew in from Canada from the east coast yeah and even yeah. to
1: work on the pod, uh, work on the show because oh, right. There was a point, you know, when we were, were all of a sudden like, OK, this is going to be a big live event. Neither of us know how to do this. And then <laughs> you start talking about it like, OK, so we're going to uh, we don't even know what we need, but we're going to need a lot of stuff. And then Jade, who is the set oh, right. designer, yeah. showed up and yeah. Ben, who is the motion graphics designer, showed up. And it, like it made me feel very grateful for how many smart people we have in our lives. Mm. Um, uh, and what a cool yeah. model that is. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's very
0: much like, uh, I was talking to Charles Eisenstein yesterday, um, in Esalen, we did recorded a podcast. We we're talking a lot about trying to replicate, uh, hunter gather sense of community in the modern world. And I made the point that my podcast is probably as close as I come to that because, like you say like these people showed up who we had never heard of right and yet they were part of our community like we were in community with them without knowing it and when we needed them they were there and it's it's kind of like that thing where your house burns down and suddenly all these people show up and say let's we're going to rebuild your house this weekend you know and Yeah, it it was really beautiful to see that happen and have people just sort of show up with their tools and say, hey, I want to help out here.
1: Yeah. And uh, you made a point um, right around the night of event. I remember you looked at me and you're like, do you know what this really is? It's a protest Hmm. Like at its core, it's a, it's this flip of a protest and yeah. all these people are showing up yeah, yeah. with their signs to be like, fuck this shit. Let's, yeah. a let's protest protest call these guys out. You know,
0: I've I never, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was like, yeah,
1: I love how Matt
0: Taibbi said, I flew all the way across the country just to say motherfucker on stage. Yeah. 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 It was incredible. It was magical. I don't know. I mean, I know the plan is to, to do it again and to have it be an annual thing and I'm sure it'll grow and it'll be mm, ho- hopefully impactful and powerful, but I can't imagine there'll ever be a moment as magical. Yeah. For us, you know, for other people. Sure. But cause that went from zero to a hundred in no, in no time at all. Yeah.
1: And I feel like we are both able to really enjoy it. Mm that was totally because you know the flip side of feeling like i you know okay you you're investing in me you're putting your name on this i will not fail is this anxiety of me wanting to please people and please you and and i was noticing the stress of producing that wasn't necessarily the million things that that I had to do, but it was managing people's emotions and managing that, okay, everyone feels good right now. I Mm. need to make sure about this. And that um, was the most stressful thing. And um, I was aware of it and I'm aware of that aspect in myself. And it's something that I'm really working on because you can get a lot of shit done without the stress if you are willing to just give less fucks about how people, about whether or not everyone likes you. Right. Um, Yeah. And that's something that I'm, I'm actively working on because there's a lot of mental energy spent Mm. just making sure that no one's pissed off. And, and yeah, I, I certainly crashed after it. I'll bet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, another thing we're talking about, it was a protest. It was a party. I mean, it was like a hell of a party. Um, it was an event just in terms of, you know, production and camera crews and stage management and all that. But it was also a coming out party for you in a way, you know, it was, it was you arriving in LA making serious contacts, right? Which hopefully are going to be useful to you for the rest of your life and lead to more and more and more. And so when I, I saw you busting your ass on it, what it looked like to me was like you recognized, even when you decided it should be an event rather than just an online thing, it was and maybe I'm assuming things that aren't true here, but my feeling was like, okay, Kyle sees this as an opportunity to um, to arrive to like be a presence in l a to right. to in the entertainment world, to meet lots of comics and journalists and and be like. Uh, A presence for them. Oh, absolutely. And so good on him that he's busting his ass because this, if you fuck this up, there's no second chance. They don't, they're not going to answer your (laughs) call.
1: That's the thing is like when you, when I, when I positioned myself in that way, I was like, either this is going to work or it's not. And you know, when I arrived in LA a few years ago, um, when you invited me on your show and. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that I needed to get out of Santa Cruz to be around more people who mm. were big idea people and who would challenge me and, and who would just help me grow. It, like, I just felt that on some deep level, like I need this, but I didn't know how it was going to come to fruition. And when I first went down there, I was trying to pitch that TV show and was, it's like, If you don't have, you know, a huge Instagram following or presence already, it's very difficult for those doors to be open for for someone to be able to say yes to you. Um, And. I realized through that process that I didn't, you know, because I went down there. I thought I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a TV host or something. And just to see the vapid nothingness in LA and how many people are willing to sell their souls just to be on camera with no message behind it that means anything, was soul sucking to me. And and I feel like when I get involved in those projects, I get like radiated on some level. So (laughs) I then found that you know the people who I was drawn to were were were, were a lot of writers, you and Neil and. Adam Skolnick and people who are thinking deeply about Mm. the situation that we're in and how we can navigate it better. Um, and there were a lot of times that I would take trips down, and you would let me sleep in your driveway, and I didn't really know. In the van, by the in way, the van. not just on the drive. Right, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> sleeping Here's bag, a blanket. Hope it doesn't rain, kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is what this is what an apprenticeship is all about. <laughs> we're
0: going <laughs> Japanese is, with this. Yeah, shit. yeah. this
1: is uh, enlightenment will come soon, Kyle. <laughs> right after pneumonia. <laughs> but uh there were a lot of times that I didn't really know what I was doing but it was like there was something inside me that was like well I feel like I think more deeply and more clearly when I'm down here Hmm. and if I invest enough time here something will happen and then I've always felt a little bit you know as you say like my coming out party like I've always felt like doing the Surfing for Change series was not a full representation of who I was, who was like Kyle, the earnest environmentalist and like, hi, I'm here at the scene, which is like, you know me, I'm way more goofy than that. Mm. And for us to then come up with the idea of the MOFAs that just encapsulated so much, like, I feel like if I died tomorrow, the Motherfucker Awards would be the project that I would want to most represent Mm. who I am and what I stand for. Mm. Um, and that feeling is just indescribably fucking like nourishing Yeah, when you, ha- when you're a part of something that feels so perfectly aligned with, with all of you.
0: Yeah. Good point in LA, which is the place that's famous for pulling people out of alignment. You know, we'll give you a show, but it's not going to be you. You know, I've told that story about how I was talking to producers about hosting a show and they were like, okay, so what's your online persona going to be? And I said, yeah, nothing. I don't, I'm going to be authentic. And they were like, oh, okay, you're going to be authentic in air quotes, right? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah it's almost like in order to do something that's an accurate representation of who you are and what you care about, you need to do it yourself. You can't get plugged into the Hollywood machine, or they'll, like you said, you get irradiated and and the life is sucked out of it, right. yeah, well, I think but know- that's what's cool about being alive today, right? Like you can this is your show that we're on right now. And the motherfucker awards was our show. Everything came through us. Right. Yeah. And it's,
1: well, and that's what a lot cool. of comedians say ruins comedy shows is when too many people, too many, too many visions get involved and it's yeah. not just doesn't come from a more singular point of view. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, I almost, you know, it's, it's kind of easier for other people to talk about you than it is for you to talk about you as sure. like, but I feel like I've always, um, done that in the way that like, like, so I, I've been doing open mics, right. And yeah. I remember, um, being in LA one day and there was at the comedy store, they have an open mic there and some friends were telling me, uh, oh yeah, you can show up here and you can get on the mic. And, um, we showed up and there were probably 350 open micers, like shoulder to shoulder trying to get on for 90 seconds. And they were going to pick 15 of them. Yeah. And I remember just thinking like, what, like there, there needs to be another way to get in here than this and like let's just go around in a way and like why not create your own comedy show where you're at the center of it and you have access to people who are really going to help you grow and just position yourself a little bit differently and um i don't know i don't think i've ever consciously done that but i've noticed like the way that my life has been set up is that I, I tend to position myself in those places. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And I think about that in terms of education a lot, you know, like, oops, um, yeah. the, I, you know, I often say to people, like, I have a friend who was going to go to grad school and uh, spend a bunch of money and get a degree in something that you don't really need a degree to do, you know, and I encouraged her to rethink it because you can position yourself to be around the people you need to meet, learn the things you need to learn in a much more authentic and direct way. Right. Um, and for free right. or or maybe they'll even pay you for. And save it, a lot of know? time. Save time, save money, save Frustration of doing shit that's meaningless just so you can three steps down the road get that access you need, you know? Right. So, yeah, these these people who are standing shoulder to shoulder trying to get their 90 seconds at the comedy store, what they're doing is they're trying... Like, they're following the, the highway to where they're trying to go, and everyone else is on that highway, but there are back roads that get you there, and it's a much nicer drive. You just have to be willing to get lost or or, you know take chances but you know people like Elon Musk I I read an interview with him and he's he said I don't give a shit where you went to school I don't care if you went to MIT or Harvard I want to know what have you done right I I really think the conventional route even if you are you know even if you did go to Harvard or MIT and you've got all those amazing accolades what that tells me is that you didn't have the imagination to get there in a more interesting way. Right, right. You took the conventional route to this room. Okay, good for you. But there are people who got here in much more interesting
1: ways. So one thing that you uh, you talk about a lot is grit versus readjustment. Hmm. And I, that's what I see here is like there's so much value in our society put on hard work and determination and showing up at that same door again mm-hmm. and again and again. We love right. those stories of people that just failed and failed and failed and then finally succeeded. We don't necessarily um, appreciate the stories of people who readjusted a little bit and then chose the path of, of least resistance nearly as much. And I, I think that that's something that you have put a a ton of focus on or at least value in is is readjusting rather than having grit.
0: Yeah. Persistence is overrated in our society. I think, you know, whether we're talking about dating or, uh, or career, I think a well-executed surrender is a beautiful thing, you know, like knowing when to, to, give up. I think giving up is important. It's a really important skill. And we do a disservice to young people by telling them to never give up, never give up on your dreams. Yeah, come on, man. Like not everyone's going to be a fucking pro pro basketball player or a singer or a supermodel or like knowing when to assess uh, the situation accurately and say, you know, uh, those dreams, that was a childhood dream that I'm a man now. Like, I don't need that dream. Let's let's adjust the dream. I don't see that as a failure. I see that as maturation. And the fact is, if you stick to your childhood dreams, then you end up living the life that a child envisioned. You know, who the fuck wants to do that? And I think a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people driving around in Maseratis are... You know, they're doing that because as a kid, they're like, I want to be that guy with the Rolex and the Maserati and the, you know, the hot, stupid chick who hates me but pretends she loves me. Like, that's the dream you envision when you're 13 or 14. And, like, if you don't adjust it, then, okay, that's what you get if you're lucky and persistent. And, but what's that? Like, you know, you got to adjust your dreams as your perspective changes.
1: Right. Yeah, it's... I suppose the question of do you value getting there, just to get there, because you value persistence so much, or 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 what you know what is deeper than that? Like I have a friend, for example, who wanted to be a pro surfer growing up, and and there was a time when he was getting paid like fifteen hundred bucks a month to surf for this company, and wasn't really going anywhere, and then he got uh, a a job offer to be a team manager of. this this company and now he gets to work with the best athletes but he's kind of the you know he's not the nascar driver anymore he's the guy in the pit crew right. but as a result he gets to travel all around the world he's in a much more secure job and he's right. supporting these guys in a way that they really need and i asked him like did it feel like giving up when you did it? And he like said he said absolutely it was really hard and i said but look at your life now now you get to live this life of your dreams. If you look at all the qualifiers, you're traveling, you're surfing, you're around the best pe- surfers in the world, but you're in a much more secure place and you're, you're able to spend your time on what it is that you really value. Yeah. Rather, and I think that fame is that way for a lot of people. A lot of people want to get famous because they make that decision that they're going to go get famous when they're 13, 14 years old. Right. And they don't readjust or continue to ask themselves the question, Why?
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's sort of the difference between tourism and travel, right? Tourism, you've got your itinerary set before you leave home. You know, you're going to spend two days in Paris and two days in Rome and your flights are all booked and all that. Whereas my, my understanding of travel is you fly to Bangkok and see what happens, you know, and that's the way I like to move through life. I don't like to plan more than a step or two ahead because things come up, things change. You meet people who offer you opportunities that you couldn't have imagined existed, you know, and uh, I think it's a it's a much wiser way to approach life because it enables you to. Um, sort of live off the land in a way you know you sort of you can travel light because you're you're nourished by the experiences that appear rather than you know I I think about there's this movie called Aguirre Wrath of God by Werner Herzog and it's about these uh, Spanish conquistadors going up the Amazon and it's it's an amazing movie it's absolutely insane um, but they, you know, they wore this, this Spanish uh, armor, and they carried these big swords, and but they're going through the fucking Amazon, right? And you just, it's like it's so inappropriate to where you are. You're dressed as if you're about to like ride horses into a classic medieval battle with knights in France, you know, and here you are in you know a tropical rainforest. Trudging around with this, you know, 50 right. pounds of armor. It's on not
1: it. the tool for the job. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, be where you are. Right. You know, that's and dress appropriately
1: and think appropriately, adjust, constantly be adjusting. So, after the motherfucker awards, um, as you know, I snapped my arm and I did a, a silent meditation retreat for six days. I was completely silent. Yeah. And um, it was a very, just sweet experience to Mm. be able to notice moments that deeply, because after, you know, uh, meditating for six hours and then going and we were in this uh, area up in the Santa Cruz mountains in the redwoods. And there was this, this really cold stream and I would put my broken arm in the stream and I would just notice the raw Mm. sensation of what it all felt like. Mm. And then after the fact, Um, I fell into a pretty serious depression for a little while because I noticed that I was, I was much more aware of my ego and I was much more aware of how much my quote unquote purpose was tied to my ego. And I was still making these decisions based off of like my ego, but it was just the volume was turned up immensely there. And, um, it was this feeling that I still that that I needed to readjust even even my my sense of purpose. Like I realized how much my you know what it, you know we we so much value like what's your purpose? What do you what are you here for? And I've always felt like oh well I want to you know help other people and, and altruism. And then I realized like after this this experience, like this is all such bullshit. Like. I want to sit here and do nothing except notice the contents of my own mind. Mm. Like I, I would wake up in the morning and feel like there was nothing worth doing, except to like just notice this raw experience more. Mm. And it made it feel like it, you know, environmentalism wasn't important, and my and surfing wasn't important. Like all these things that I previously felt really passionate about. All of a sudden, just like we know, none of this is real. And I remember you telling me once we were talking about purpose and how you have this kind of aversion to like how much people rely on purpose. And you told me something that always stuck with me is that you said sometimes I feel like my purpose is is no more complicated than just trying to notice more. Mm. And I've thought about that a lot as I've I kind of came out of that. And I'm now reorienting to everything that I'm doing because I still need to work and, you know, do podcasts and move through the world. But it was a really jarring experience for me to notice that, as you were saying, you know, we have these childhood dreams and and, and ways that we think that we're going to get into the world and then you get there. And you realize that it's all such bullshit. Like <laughs> what? Like what's it's a, and it's a frightening feeling, man. And and I um, was there with a, a guy named Adi Ashanti, who is uh, is a spiritual leader. And he has this book called The End of Your World. And he talks about these kind of depression periods um, where you're uncertain about everything um, and how it's all just part of the process. But it's. It can also be really frightening.
0: Yeah, it's it's death. Right. Right? It's the death of you up to that point. And that's a... Yeah, that's a... There's a grieving process for that that I think you need to make space for. Yeah. You know? And the deeper the transformation, the more comprehensive the death is. And the more alone and lost you're gonna feel for a while, because like everything that you've been relying on up till now suddenly doesn't work anymore. And you're like, fuck, man, I thought I knew where I was going and now I'm totally lost and I gotta figure it all out again. Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. But it's but if you don't do that, then again you're stuck with your childhood sense of self and you're, you know it's like, you know, I, I say this about relationships all the time. You know, if if you're in a long-term relationship, you realize that it's not a relationship. It's a series of relationships that just happen to be with the same person. <clears throat> and I think life is the same way. It's you know, we contain our past selves in a way um but it's it's almost like they're ghosts or something you know that that we have hovering around us but they have to die in order for you to move forward into the next incarnation of who you are right but yeah it's it's super painful um and you're what late 20s You're twenty 29 yeah I think that's you know I don't know if it's because you know some people say it's Saturn returning or you know there's some but like there's this classic around 30 there's a class it seems like everybody who is living a full life has a crisis around 30 where like everything shifts in some fundamental way I certainly did you know I I I was on a path. I was traveling, teaching English, doing whatever, just to keep traveling. That was my life. That was my meaning. That was per. That was everything It made me happy. More stamps on my passport. More countries. More experience. I was just sucking it up. More identity her- too. People yeah. see you as the traveler. That's who I was. Yeah. Right. I was that guy who's been everywhere. And like, oh my god, you've you're only twenty nine, and you've been oh, you've done so much, you know. And, uh, yeah, and then around that age, it just, I realized, like, this isn't working anymore. Like, fuck, this was, I thought this was my path. I thought I was going to be this guy and this would work forever. And it was like, I was getting so much juice out of squeezing that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, there's no more juice in this for me. Now what? And that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's really scary. Because then you think, like, well, if I don't find anything else, then what? I'm just going to keep going around this track and like wearing it down more and more the rest of my life. Right. Well, and
1: especially when it starts to give way to something that's less sexy, Like for me, I've built a huge amount of my identity around, you know, being able to explain these kind of complicated environmental issues Mm. in an entertaining way. And people say, thank you so much for your work. And it's, you know, it's really inspiring Mm. and great. And then to feel like I'm becoming more motivated by money and like Mm. more motivated by financial security like that's what's getting me more excited now it's like oh what Mm. kind of project can i get into that's that's meaningful but like yeah i I also want to be able to make money and i want to be able to buy a house one day and like and then feeling like is that is that bad in some way you know Mm. it's like it's certain you're certainly going to get less uh like thank you for your good work if you are becoming more motivated by money but yeah it's um well being I, poor I, sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It really sucks. It's
0: well, it, and when you're young, it's like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm sleeping in someone's driveway. Right. That's fine, you know. But you, you get to a certain age and it's like, yeah, I'd like to sleep in my own driveway. You <laughs> yeah. know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, but I, I do think that as you said, it's uh this process of surrender that is so important. Um and I you know we were talking um we we saw that documentary a while ago called the internet's own boy about Mm. aaron swartz the really brilliant young guy who uh did a lot of work on um the uh, sopa and pipa acts keeping um the internet free and open He start reddit started reddit um he was on the board of a bunch of these (laughs) amazing startups um he lawrence lessig was one of his uh mentors and then he uh got in trouble with the government, um, and he killed himself. And I think that, um, you know, there is, uh, there's a, like, I just want to get your thoughts on how young, smart people can move through those processes when it feels like the weight of the world comes down on them. Yeah. Because I think that it's, it's easy to get into that kind of dangerous, position where you feel like you have a lot of potential and you you have your identity locked in something and then it becomes so overwhelming that you're just you can't handle it anymore um, and I think that we, we lose those kinds of people more times than not unfortunately and, and if they had someone like you who's just a voice in their ear it could be really helpful
0: yeah I remember being really angry when I watched that film Yeah, at him because he was so brilliant and cool and so well connected, you know, at a really young age, and yeah, he he got in trouble for stealing data at MIT or something, but it was
1: yeah, well, it was a um, it was the, the library, it was the, the, the bookstore, yeah. Right. So there's the at um, J Store is uh, basically the way it works is if you're a scientist and you um, publish your work. Uh, it gets locked up in these, uh, basically these vaults where if other researchers or reporters want to draw on your work, they have to pay to get access to it. Right. Um, and people at MIT have free access to it. So what, what he was doing is he went in there and, and got all of that, the research out and was just going to put it out for free on the internet. Right.
0: Cause knowledge should be freely available right. to anyone. And he, he believed that fiercely. By the way, I just saw in the last week or so, I think the University of California system has pulled out of JSTOR. Oh, cool! Yeah, and so the, what he envisioned, um, trying to you know incite a rebellion there, is is happening institutionally. But I felt angry because he he gave up. He was becoming. He had this dream of becoming politically. Um, engaged, right. you know, running for Congress. Or yeah, his something.
1: girlfriend always said that, like, he, his big anxiety was like, you can't be a, a politician if you have a felony. If you have a felony, right. But
0: what he didn't understand is that the world is changing, and partly as a result of what he was doing and people like him. And so that, that despair, I think, is short-sighted because presumes the world stays as it is and then you're you're projecting yourself into the future and saying there's no place for me right but the world's changing as you're changing and so i felt i was pissed off at him because it's like dude you know 10 years after you died you would have been in congress right it would have like it would have happened there was your reputation you know now look at the world you know pussy grabber in chief right like getting busted for stealing knowledge that you then shared with the world would not have been a an impediment it probably would have been an advantage in the world as it's become you know and so there's this arrogance of thinking you know what it's going to be like and you know how shitty your life is going to be whereas you know you don't you have no fucking idea And I was thinking, like, you you were talking about being motivated by money a little bit now and whatever. I feel like you're, you know, that that cliche character is destiny, right? Like, you are never going to really be motivated by money. You're motivated by money now because you're sick of being poor. You're sick of, like, you know, can I, you know... Will this check I, clear? Right, I'm
1: yeah. sick of uh, trading Patagonia wetsuits for favors. <laughs> right, <laughs> That's exactly. Thank the, God yeah, you have those. The, the yeah. motherfucker awards was financed by, <laughs> by, by Patagonia by items. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, which just, Moshe Kasher loved. He good. was like, he dug his Patagonia suit,
0: and it's great. I mean, now he's got a story attached to right. it. You know, it's great, but. Like I, yeah I I until I was forty I knew exactly how much money was in my bank account because it was under a thousand euros always and it was yeah if I went to the grocery store and wanted to put something on my card like I had to think how much is in there and will this pass you know uh, and that sucks. And it's nice to to get to a place where you can just you know throw a credit card down and not think about it, yeah till the end of the month you know. yeah but but what my point is you're not gonna ever be primarily motivated by money because that's just not who you are, so you'll check that box, you'll get a cash flow that works, and then you'll be on again to meaning in one way or another, right
1: and hopefully I don't need to um veer away at all from. Meaning, but it's just more about being about noticing where I am getting my energy from right now, and being honest with it. And um, I've never been drawn at all to religion, Um, but I during this the silent meditation retreat and learning a bit more about Zen Buddhism and about how just the the power of sitting and meditating and noticing what is, is, I mean, it just, it sounds pedestrian as you say it, but what we've been talking about, you know, for the last 40 minutes is the stories we hold in our heads about who we should be, who we were and who we're going to become and holding those and letting them ossify to Mm. the point where you're willing to kill yourself because the story isn't working out the way you thought it would. Mm -hmm. And, the power and and sweetness that i felt i was able to access just for a short amount of time on on that retreat was like to 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 feel that there is something that is whole and pristine within you and has always been while you are simultaneously always changing and becoming something new was something that was really special to feel. Yeah. And Adi Ashanti, I mean, he's, he's a wordsmith with the way that he talks about this. And he says his whole job is this process of continuously failing because you can't describe this feeling completely. Mm. We don't have the words to describe just resting in this sweet awareness in a way that fully encapsulates it. Um, but I felt like I... You know, in a way that when, when people take psychedelics and they feel like it's this experience of coming home, like it's not this far out thing, I felt like meditating for that amount of time was like this durable muscle that was being built hmm. to experience coming home. Yeah. And it's, it's made life a lot less frightening for me. It's made me... And I think also that simultaneously with the motherfucker awards, like it's just, it's, it's created a lot of growth, man. I mean, like to, to be able to, 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 you know, after the, the motherfucker awards, be able to sit down with Matt Taibbi and sit across from him and feel like I deserve to be there. Hmm was a special feeling because yeah. it's so often that I don't have never acknowledged what I'm good at or my, my strengths. Cause I, I'm terrified of, you know, I've always just felt kind of terrified of sounding like an egomaniac, yeah. um, or, or, or egotistical at all. And, and, uh, it just felt really good to sit across from him and be like, cool, I'm going to ask you some questions and I've worked hard to, to be right here. And then for him to acknowledge that was, um, Again, like this, the reason I'm happy to have this podcast with you is just because I feel like it's this punctuation Mm. at the end of this series of experiences that you have been the center of.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope I hope it's not the end. Uh, I hope there will be many more. You know, yesterday I, I was having this conversation with Charles Eisenstein, really smart guy if people don't know who he is, he wrote a book called sacred economics and he's written several books. Um, but just really, really smart dude. And I said to him, uh, how do you keep your ego from getting involved in, you know, cause he's very much about sort of shepherding humanity into the next phase. And he sees that the, the, phase that we've been in for a long time, maybe back to agriculture is collapsing, right? All the institutions are collapsing. Everything's falling apart. The, the systems of meaning, the story that we've been telling for a long time is, is over. And, you know, there's this acceleration of um, this sort of the image I got was like, going down the drain, you know, you get, it goes faster and faster and faster as you get closer anyway. And I was expecting him to give me something about meditation or whatever. And he said, "Ah, I don't really even think about that because normally it's the ego that's trying to seem like you don't have an ego. Right. It's, right. It's the you want to be it's your egotistical intention to seem humble. Right. You know, it was was very, it was interesting.
1: I listened to your uh, Roma that you did recently where you were talking about acknowledging our gifts. Right. I thought that was a really important point Hmm. because you said by not acknowledging your gifts, you're not doing any favors to anyone. Like you were talking about, you know, if you're a really strong guy and you're not helping out moving that table a little bit more, you're being an asshole. Right. You should acknowledge your gifts and use them, um, and, and exploit them, you know? And, yeah. uh, I think that that was, that was a really important point because so many of us, myself included, have this kind of humble ego.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where you, th- you think you're being cool, but in a way you're kind of being cheap and you're being, uh, well, it's inaccurate, right? You know, yeah, it's just dishonest. Uh, yeah. So it leads to all sorts of confusion and distortions. You know, if, if you're smarter than most people and you acknowledge that, then it allows you to pay special attention to speaking in a way that other people are going to understand and maybe not using all the words in your vocabulary to show off. And, you know, like, and, and cause they pick it up, they know. And But also recognizing that that doesn't make you better, just like being taller than other people doesn't make you better or being faster doesn't make you better. or A better swimmer doesn't make you a better human being. All those things are just, you know, they're just qualities, characteristics that we have or don't have that uh, if you refuse to acknowledge them, then you're living in a world that's distorted and inaccurate. Right. Yeah. But you can acknowledge that, you know, you're a natural athlete. That doesn't mean you're a better person. It's just so if you take me swimming, you swim a little slower so I can keep up. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you don't, you're a dick. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's Did why I never swim with you, by the way.
1: Yeah, I'd let you uh, get on my back. <laughs> just like a turtle. <laughs> That's good. I'll just hold on. Yeah. Um, was there anything uh, that stuck with you from the Charles Eisenstein uh, conversation? Because I've been thinking about this this a lot, like really since the... Um, the conversation that I had with Taibi, where he laid out our system and and how you know corporations are essentially externality machines, where yeah. they're doing everything that they can to um, privatize all the profits and socialize the costs, and, and he laid it out. Um, yeah, you know, he, he has that great quote that I, I always love to repeat. He says he's talking about Goldman Sachs. He says the world's greatest investment bank. Uh, is is a vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into anything that smells like money. That's a good line. Yeah, a good line. And uh he he just talks about how you know this isn't we don't live in a truly capitalist society right now. Um, banks, for example, want the nanny state to step in as soon as they fail and they right. want to get bailed out. Um and, you know, one of the the great benefits of doing the MOFAs was to, for me to be able to take a look at what all of these companies that we nominated had in common. Um, and I asked Taibi that question. He said, well, I think that the commonality is that they all have sociopathic bu- business models. Mm. Um, and... I do think that he's at the center of of a really important conversation. I think that Lawrence Lessig, who's talking about campaign finance reform and the relationship between these corporations and the lobbyists that mm. that finance the campaigns to get laws passed um, to their benefit and not the benefit of of the majority of people in America, are at the center of a really important conversation about how our system is structured and ways that we can um, ways that we can change it. Um, And it sounds like Charles Eisenstein is also an important voice in that conversation. Yeah, definitely. One of the things
0: that struck me, he was talking about the necessity of constant growth uh, being one of the sort of central problems of uh, the economic system as it is, as it exists now. And he made the point that The reason we're living in the West, we're so isolated, is that this necessity of constant growth has uh, been a process of privatizing things that used to be part of our community. So it used to be that your house burned down, your neighbors would come and pitch in to build a new one. Now you get a check from an insurance company. It used to be that we took care of each other's kids when you needed to go somewhere. Now you pay someone uh, you know to try, take your kid to a child care facility. So like there things that used to be exchanges of favors are more and more becoming part of the money economy because that's how it grows. So it invades into the crevices between us and among us and makes everything, uh, dependent upon an exchange of, of cash you know or Patagonia wetsuits you, yeah well see <laughs> you're resisting it yeah <laughs> you, they're they're gonna catch you but yeah it's I mean and that made me think about you know these these graphs people like Steven Pinker love to throw around showing that world poverty is is you know being reduced because you know the number of people earning three dollars a day has increased you um, And, you know, people earning less than $3 a day is as much, has has decreased. But what that's not acknowledging is that most of those people who were earning less than $3 a day were not part of the money economy 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They were growing food. They had pigs. They paid, I mean, Casilda, my wife, worked in Africa as a doctor and people would pay her with chickens or with vegetables or whatever. Now... Those people are part of the money economy because they're working at the factory building, you know, making shoes or whatever. And so now they're part of the thing and we're calling that progress. Right. But it's not progress. It's just pulling them into the money system.
1: Yeah. It's like takes away the fascia in the body. Yeah, the connective the tissue, the connective tissue, or the, exactly. the mycelium network. That's exactly, so you what have it these is. like body dysmorphia, where right. you have these huge. I mean, you can literally take the analogy of like a huge bicep, and like that's the the New York fucking skyscraper, you know. Mm. But then there's no. Connection from the people from floor to floor, from mm. building to building, right. and so that you know when that fire comes, you don't know who to call, or or you know when you fall on hard times, yeah, it's not your neighbor, it's your insurance company, and they're trying to squeeze you for everything that they have. Yeah, I, I read recently something like
0: sixty percent of the people surveyed in the United States didn't have any anyone that they considered a close friend. No one, like. How do you go through life not having a single close friend that you could call when you really needed somebody? That's unbelievable, right? Because it's so inhuman, literally inhuman. Because connections and and intimacy and friendship and community is what distinguishes us as a species more than anything else. For our social learning, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we take care of each other. That's how our ancestors survived. Cause we're pretty unimpressive animals you know physically and so uh you know any predator any decent predator could run down a human and fuck up a human i mean that guy <laughs> i did this thing i don't know if it was on the roma or whatever but the guy who uh, recently fought off the a mountain lion, a mountain, lion. The mountain
1: kitten. <laughs> <was a> mountain <laughs> so you're like, This is bullshit. <laughs> it was I mean, I It, it
0: was like, Wait a minute. It was a kitten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you strangle a mountain lion? That's not going to work. But you know, you were talking earlier about meditation. I did a Vipassana retreat yeah, uh, years ago. And the thing that I really. Uh, took away from that that changed my life I guess was that I recognized for the first time that I am not the voices in my head I am the presence that listens or doesn't to the voices in my head I'm the attention and that's such a fundamental shift in perspective and that whatever that is whatever I am when I had that experience of, I think the one I did was 10 days. It was when you peel away the layers of onion of, you know, the chattering voices and the distractions and the fantasies and the dreams and the memories and all that stuff. And you get down to where you can sense this, presence that is yourself your deepest self then you realize that that self is timeless and ageless and even genderless you know what i mean it's it's not even human in a way it's some just it's just like an eye or, or something it's it's just a an understanding and it's it's weird. It, it, it for me, it wasn't a religious experience, but it did feel like, like whatever that is, could persist across lifetimes.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, you get the real sense that when you turn attention upon itself, I do these these um guided meditations the with the waking up app and and um he has these recommendations where you'll snap his finger and say now turn attention upon itself immediately where does it where is the eye and you you get the sense of like that you're not your head like it's not just coming from your head it's coming from something deeper and there's something prior to it right. that we don't really have the the words to describe hmm. but that does seem, it seems genderless and it seems, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, you just start to previous start to go, it's, right, yeah, yeah, previous it's to, like it's
0: upstream somehow. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's where the, where it's the source, right? It's the, where the water bubbles up from underground and becomes a stream before it becomes a river. It's yeah. It's purity somehow. It's pure consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really liberating. I I remember feeling very liberated by that.
1: Well, I, um, I snapped my arm in Costa Rica, um, and I've told the story on my podcast a few times, so I'll make it quick, but, um, got thrown 20 feet across the beach, like 15 feet in the air across the beach from the kite, you know, just got picked up by a gust of wind. And I felt so out of control that. I could have easily landed on another part of my body and died. Like there's, you know, you fall in big waves and that kind of thing, but it's, it's always feels within my control. Um, in a way that we're like, Oh, I expect this feeling to happen. Okay. I'm going to get sucked down and I'm going to be underwater for a while. I'm going to come up, but I'm not a kite boarder. So I don't know. I didn't know what that feeling was like. Mm. And it shook me to my core, man. Like Mm. afterwards I had these feelings of, um, like real panic, yeah, and and panic about death mm. in a way that I never knew that I had, um, and panic about like the eye, like what if this, what if the eye in here dies? Like I'm not ready for that. I haven't, I haven't acknowledged that, and that really was what got me to go to the the retreat and to then experience what you're saying. You know, that so that there is something prior to who you think you are, um, is a, it's a liberating experience. So how was that experience
0: of tumbling across the beach, um, fundamentally different from the experience of crashing on a wave and being pressed to the bottom of the ocean? And
1: I wasn't trained for it. uh, I wasn't, it was like, you know, I guess like being in a car crash or something like that. Like you've never, I, I don't know what a, A bad car crash feels like. Mm. um, And I've never prepared for it. Mm. So my mind went into panic in a way that I've never panicked when I fall on a big wave because I've trained my mind to go into a space that can remain calm in those situations. Um, Were you clipped in, or you're you... clipped into a harness, so you couldn't which is... have let go or anything? Well, basically, what happened was it, I I was on the beach and I I launched the kite with the instructor who put me on way too big of a kite. Um, this is like. I'm working on a joke about this, but it's like when bro privilege turns bad, like when they think you're going to be really good at something that you're not mm. like, yeah, cool. We're going to put you on the huge kite. Cause you look like a surfer. Like I have no idea how to orient towards the wind, but, uh, it, th- basically, it caught a gust, and then as soon as I got started getting lifted up, I should have let go, which would have depowered the kite. But I held on, so it just right. powered it up, and right. it felt like I got shot out of a cannon. Um, interestingly enough, though, at the end of the the meditation retreat, uh, you can ask Adi Ashanti one question, and I and I said, "Hey, do you have any thoughts for how I can process this experience? Because I still feel." really panicked about it. As soon as I go back to that space, it was like this, like an injury on your body where if you touch it, your whole body kind of spazzes. Like Mm -hmm. if I would go back to that space mentally, I would panic. And he said, I would recommend that you go to that space while you're meditating and run through it with a fine tooth comb. And then when you're done, go back to the beginning and run through it again and do it until it doesn't, um, make you feel panicked anymore Mm. and I've been doing that a lot and I'll go through it and I'll have a little body jolt when I'll go through at a certain point when the kite picks me up and uh it does help but going you know this is uh kind of going back to your thought about uh community and and being uh inhuman one one really interesting experience of the meditation retreat is that you know so you're not talking to anyone while you're there um but you have dorm room dorm mates And uh, you're encouraged not to look any of them in the eye while you're there. So you're just going about your business. You know, you go and you brush your teeth and someone goes in the bathroom, they pee. And you realize how little you need to talk to make a group situation work. And by the end of it, how connected you can feel to them with no words. So going back to what you're talking about around, you know, feeling close to people even without talking to them mm. was a really special experience. And the f- you know funny thing is that if at the very end, you can talk to them. And the dude, uh, sitting uh, who who stayed across the room from me the whole, whole time, oh, he opened his mouth and he had an accent at the end of the room. I was like, wait, what? You're English. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Uh. But, um, I guess I was kind of mixing, mixing points there, but, uh, it's It is really interesting, you know how how much we can feel connected to other people just by being around them and yeah. being on the kind of humble pursuit in a way that I think disasters can do that for people, but they realize where you realize that you're all just more or less the same on this journey yeah. you know on this spinning ball, and I think that um retreats can do that as well, you know it's a very kind of humble pursuit that you're all on you recognize that. That everyone in that room, everyone, everyone in that meditation hall is, is, is something brought them there and they're on a journey of boring more deeply within to themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about the, um, the experience of, uh, you know, that with the kite, I thought about how, what we were talking about at the beginning with the well-executed surrender can be a beautiful thing knowing when to let go is so
1: important. And if I would have, I w- would have been fine.
0: Yeah. Right. But the pa- when things get crazy, the the sort of instinctive response is to grip tighter. And that's exactly the wrong thing. Right? That's the wrong thing to do when and and for some reason I've been lucky a couple times in my life when shit got really bad my impulse was to let go like like when i went to prison in alaska at that time like i there was a moment where it's like okay are we gonna lie and say we like beat someone up or killed someone or something to scare these prisoners and keep them away from us for a few days until like because we were there gonna be there for four days right and that's what my buddy wanted to do <laughs> and and i was like no way no way when i get when, when i lose control when things like take me by surprise and i get swept away my response always is to just give up give up like i'll just i'll roll over on my back like a puppy like uh, i i got no lies i'm not going to try to pull any bullshit this is the situation please don't hurt me
1: but that's your greatest strength Well, in a way, like that's why you, like you, you have said this before where like, you feel like you'd be a really good actor because you know when to just let go and relax. Mm. And I think that what attracts a lot of people to you is that skill. Um, because Uh. a lot of people don't have it. Like you can, I mean, you can just hear it in your voice. Like when you're, you're on Rogan talking in front of a million people, you sound the exact same as you sound right here. Mm. And that's, an ability because you listen to Sam Harris on Rogan, and all of a sudden he starts you know you can tell he's just a little bit more nervous and on edge than he is when he's on his own podcast um so it is an ability that you have and and either have cultivated or were born with or it's just a, a realization that then you've been able to embody but most people that but that is a gift that you should acknowledge that most people don't have yeah yeah i
0: I, I I don't know. And to be clear, I don't think I'd be a great actor. I what I what I think hey, you're referring hey, to. Hey, you know,
1: you're uh, an award-winning <laughs> porn
0: star. Yeah, I have one. <laughs> I have two trophies on my mantle: the motherfucker awards and the AVN.
1: But uh, best
0: non-sex performance. That's it. But uh, what I what I think you're referring to is what I said. Like I I can ignore the camera. Right, right. I can I can just look at you and have this conversation and ignore the guy with the camera and the guy with the boom and all that. But um, you know, I was I was on my motorcycle once with Casilda and some crazy shit happened and I had to like do a sort of a immediate maneuver. I won't try to describe it, but it was really bad and this car. Pulled out in front of us perpendicular, and I had to sort of like slip into a parking space and out, and very like do this real quick maneuver. And she had the same reaction. She melted into my back. She totally relaxed. And if she hadn't, we probably would be dead. Because if she had jerked one way or the other, you know, any movement it would have totally fucked up the, the balance and the maneuver I had to do. Right. And I always think about that, the power of relaxing, the power of surrendering, you know, of just loosening, you know, they say that, um, drunks survive auto crashes better because they're relaxed. Right. You know, it's like, it's almost always the right thing to do is relax, let go when shit's getting weird and, you know, and it's weird that, that, that our, our society and our instincts and our education, everything is no grab, get strong, tighten up, you know, work harder. Persevere. Persevere. Yeah. No, probably the right move is to just chill the
1: fuck out. Yeah. Rivers don't persevere. Yeah. They're just, they go the path of least resistance. Right. Exactly. And flow. Yeah. Yeah it's hard to embody though, man. <laughs> that's, that's I, like, that's great musicians can do that. You know, good people that can just, you know, rap or not have that, you know, like I, I, I would notice a, a stutter that I have when I get nervous mm. and having a podcast, you really notice it. Cause I listen back and I notice that the, there are these points when I tighten up and, mm. um, my words don't flow and, I think that there's um, you know that this year in the Olympics, um, apparently some of the teams, the coaches purposely underslept their athletes so that they couldn't overthink things. Mm. They said that they would perform better, a little bit tired, mm. be- so that that extra part of the mind that would trip them up um, wouldn't be there. Yeah, that's interesting. How do you think the podcast is going to change? My podcast? Yeah. Um I think that I'll probably start interviewing more spiritual leaders cuz I'm I'm really interested in the contents of my own mind right now more yeah. than anything. Um I'm also really interested in people who are you know, like the Charles Eisenstein type people that are looking at this system. Um, and more as a whole and seeing how we can shift it. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of people on this podcast who are kind of doing their part in one good way or another. You know, like the guys from Boreo Skateboards that take fishing nets from yeah. Chile that are, you know, 10% of all ocean plastics are fishing nets. And they figured out a way to um, incentivize the fishermen to come in and make skateboards out of this high-quality nylon. Like, there are a lot of good stories that aren't going to be enough to turn the tide of where we need to really go, or at least even un- help people understand what our situation is. Um, so I've become a lot more focused on learning from people who who I feel like have a much better sense of the system overall. I'm listening Mm. to a podcast series right now by Lawrence Lessig um, called Another Way. It's like a 10-episode series, and they're each are like 15-minute episodes on what it would take for campaign finance reform to really happen. Mm. Um, So, I I am much less interested in, I would say, the individual stories of people that are just out there doing good work, um, and I'm more interested in the, the big thinkers who can help me understand what it what it really is um that we need to do um that I feel like that's those two um in parallel will be the next couple years of my life mm-hmm. and and realizing like yeah because you know with something like zen buddhism like the outcome isn't really the important part, like the whole point of meditation, isn't that like you're gonna get there one day. It's about just resting in this moment right now. So simultaneously, maintaining this uh, connection to to that shit's fucked up, and there are people that are working to make it better on the, on the global scale as well as just the human to human scale. Like I I think that people change the world every day just with our interactions. You I mean you can't ignore yeah. that. That yeah. just you know helping your neighbor out or um, or, or or helping people understand that it's not their fault. I mean, I I think that like people like Johan Hari are doing really important work just because you see addicts, you know, with like opioids and then they, and they're blamed for, for what they're doing. I think that it could really help people to understand that, no, this is a system that that they're fed into and and it takes a lot of awareness to not fall into these traps. Um, so yeah, I want, I want to, interview more big thinkers mm. both in the spiritual realm as well as the um societal structural realm like that and that's i think again why that um the Taibi interview was so special to me is because he he so precisely has called out these banks that are so central to the disease of our society right now yeah um that's at least that's a lot more interesting to me, and um, a lot of comedians too. I, I, I'm interested in comedy for the um, the amount of time and, and precision that they put into thinking about how to deliver um, an idea in the most effective way possible. And I've also found that like you really can't talk about environmental and social issues too much uh, without being funny. Otherwise. People are going to want to kill you. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's that's how it'll change. I, and just continuing to do it for an audience of one that I think that's the biggest goal. Like, And that's one thing that I think I've done a good job of is like no matter how many people are listening, I'm still talking to people who really are are interesting to me. Um, and, and and also maintaining a, a, a balance between vulnerability and not oversharing. I think is a a big thing that I've been trying to Mm. walk, like to to tell certain parts of my life, but not talk about certain parts of my life, but not use it as a currency in a way that I see other Mm. podcasters do, where it's kind of manipulative and they're just sharing everything because they think that that's what people will like. And then like I think it's really important for me to leave some things, keep some things for myself. Um, That's part of the journey as well. Yeah. You don't want your whole life
0: to be the Kyle Tierman show. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah I think that yeah. people can sense it
0: yeah I know what you mean there there is a way of exploiting your privacy yeah. you know it. yeah it's it's a thing I think about too a lot like how what to share what to not share because there's a I feel like it is a very personal relationship that you have with your audience. If you do a podcast like this where, you know, people are sitting in on conversations with friends, you know, that's that's pretty intimate. And there are things that you and I know about each other that we don't necessarily want the world to know, you know. So there's this and not because there's anything shameful about it, just because it's like it, it it. I don't know. You pull it out into the light, and and things it feels like you're 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 um, washing away the sacredness or the.
1: Th- that's the way that I feel. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit like um, like Instagramming your ayahuasca experience or something. Like, yeah. why 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 are you doing this? What's yeah. where's the where's it really coming from? And how do you I, feel about social media declarations of love? Um, I think that it it's a. a, a people really show their cards for how fucked up their relationships really are when they do that. (laughs) I think it's a direct correlation, you know, between like, we're doing so great. The gratitude and the profundity of this love encapsulates all of us. And we just got done screaming at each other.
0: Yeah, it's, I always, I think that too, when I see something on Instagram, like it's been 10 years since... You know, you became the center of my universe. Like, why am I reading this? Right. Why? This has nothing to do with me. Right. Like you two go have dinner, you know, staring at each other's eyes, <laughs> yeah. leave
1: me out of it. Well, I, I, the big thing that I don't share and, and, you don't as well are details about your romantic relationship. Like yeah. that's, I, I feel like th- that is the sacredness that yeah. I, um, don't want to talk about. And then, and, well, um, but
0: nobody loves either one of us. Let's face right. it. Exactly.
1: Why would they? Um, yeah, how, uh, how do you feel like your podcast has changed you? Uh,
0: interesting. Well, it's certainly, I, I wonder if I, if I hadn't started the podcast, would I be more invested in writing? I think I would. I probably would have written two or three books by now in addition to Sexodon. Um, because podcasting has been so much more rewarding for me than writing. But when I wrote Sex at Dawn and it became a bestseller and, you know, Cassie and I sort of went on this crazy ride, um, if podcasting hadn't appeared in my life, I think that probably would be like, wow, this is the best. This is, you know, I get to make a living writing my thoughts and people take them seriously and then they invite me to come and speak and you know what i mean i would have put a lot more focus into that path right uh but the immediacy of podcasting and the um, sort of opportunity to connect with people on a personal eye-to-eye level is so gratifying to me that it even though you know i guess the the money and the fame and all that stuff isn't comparable it's much more gratifying for me and so i've invested much more focus on podcasting to the detriment of writing right
1: yeah i but you yeah. get these messages from people that you know they call in and they say that it's helped them in one way or another and um the way that you did it was you know, the the book gets you in the door to be able to then have the conversations that you want to have. And that's what seems like it's so exciting for you is that like you've had the conversation about sex a million times and a lot of authors that just stay in that world. They only get to talk about what they've written and it doesn't, it's not fun for them anymore. Yeah. Whereas you have access to all these people to talk to and then you can, go wherever you want. So it's probably helped you become a much bigger thinker and learn just more about the world and draw these metaphors and connections to your own work. Um, but without the book, you never would have had access to, to, you know, the, the people that you can talk to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's the way it worked out. Like the book parlayed into connection to Joe Rogan and Duncan and, people in the podcast world and then that parlayed into my own thing and you know now people are willing to talk to me because of the book and the joe and you know that so i'm part of that whole thing world. yeah no it's it's fantastic it's definitely changed me it's weird though because i don't know to what extent the podcast has changed me versus you know having written sex dawn and have you know that changed my life a lot, um, and also just getting older <laughs> changes you. You know, like so, it's hard to say what caused what change, but I definitely feel less of a, a drive to write books that are uh, big idea books. Like you and I talked about this a lot. Like, I, I don't really feel like I need to be that guy anymore telling you everything you know about X is wrong and let me, you know, show you what's true. It's, that's too heavy. I don't, I don't want to carry that weight. I'm much more comfortable. And I think with the podcast, what's cool about this is, you know, you can have someone on who has their shtick, they have their expertise, whatever. And my job is to help you share that with my audience. So I'm delivering the baby, but I'm not the parent. You know, I don't have a vested interest in. You know, sometimes people are like, "Well, you know, you, you did, you get let him off too easy." You like, I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to, you know, insist that my perspective is correct. I'm here to. I'm interested in your perspective, whether I agree or disagree. I don't care. Let's get your perspective. As fully as possible, and, and I'm here to help do that. Right.
1: Know. Well, it, um, I think that there are the there are different mediums that incentivize different behaviors. Instagram, mm. for example, really incentivizes ego, right? Uh, and and you're rewarded the more that selfies you take and the more you tell people about your life, and it and it just like builds up your ego. Whereas, um, podcasting really incentivizes curiosity. Like to be good at podcasting and to do it for years and have people still come back, you need to be a really curious person You'd be like, fucking tell me about rattlesnakes. Whoa, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and it builds up that part of yourself being a big idea author. Sounds like it builds up a part of yourself where you are trying to make a really persuasive argument and, and, get evidence and build upon making the most persuasive argument possible. And one thing that you've helped me do a lot is um, is learn about metacognition. Like just acknowledging that everyone is trying to persuade you at all times and they all have these different d- tools in their tool belts to try and persuade you in one way or another. Mm. Um, and I think that you are a more curious person than you are argumentative or even interested like interested in building these foolproof arguments that are going to change the world. Yeah. I think that you're capable of it. Like it's you have the IQ to pull that off. Um but that's not where your heart lies.
0: It's true. Like yeah.
1: your heart lies i, I in Helping helping alleviate shame for people. Like I think that that's probably the best thing, or, or I would imagine one of the more gratifying things for you about Sex at Dawn was that yeah. it can help people like that. Yeah. Um. Just get over that. Get over any shame that they have. You don't get off though on on making people wrong because you have this foolproof argument. Yeah, I did when I was
0: younger. You did. Yeah, I would get into the intellectual power tripping. That was uh, that was my emotional armor, like I'm smarter, you know. But as I've gotten older and more comfortable with vulnerability and letting go, you know, there's that's one of the things I've let go of is that, and it and it's sort of tied in with what we were talking about earlier with acknowledging characteristics about yourself at the same time that you are acknowledging that it doesn't fucking matter. Right. You know, like, yeah. Okay. I'm good at, I'm good at making people feel wrong, but do I enjoy that? No, I don't. And, and, and I recognize that while I can make someone, while I can convince someone that they're wrong, often the next day I'll think about it and realize, no, actually I was wrong.
1: Right. Right.
0: Mm. But it's like a lawyer, you know, you can argue a case persuasively even if your client is guilty. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, so I can do that. But yeah, that's kind of a shitty thing to do because it's not even bringing clarity to the situation. It's just imposing my perspective in a way that people are like, oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. You know, but that
1: doesn't mean I'm right. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) and and how do you want to spend your time yeah yeah you it's, want to spend your time in a van learning about rattlesnakes exactly bringing it out to the world yeah i mean that's another way that the podcast you, i mean
0: it's such a big question how has it changed your life it's like you were saying it's brought so many wonderful people into my life you know you uh, you know for example and everyone who's come to me through you i mean it's enriched my life so much and to be able to go out in the van and you know, I mentioned an episode or two back that, OK, I think I'm going up the West Coast and then into Canada and then and I've probably gotten 30 emails from people like, hey, I'm in Vancouver. I'm out on Vancouver Island. I'm, you know, up in the in uh, the guy just sent me a thing. He's in um, north of Banff. Uh, I forget what it's called Lake Louise maybe and he's got like a canoe company and he wants to take me out on a canoe trip or rafting trip and it's just like fuck it's amazing to just be able to say yeah I'm going to the Canadian Rockies and have you know
1: a dozen people say hey come
0: you know let me buy you a beer take a shower at my place and let's go rafting it's so cool
1: there are a lot of people out there it's like what i was saying earlier with uh, the grit versus readjustment stories mm. like the media loves to talk about grit stories like i was knocking on that same door for 10 years and then yeah. they finally opened it versus all the stories out there of people who readjusted and their lives were way better as a result yeah. i think the podcast is is a beacon for like-minded people mm. and it can, I think, make a lot of people feel less lonely. Um, because let's face it, people who listen to our shows are kind of oddballs that are, uh, interested in alternative ways of thinking and looking at the world. Um, and that's cool. That's, you know, that's a, it's a really special thing to, to feel like you can meet someone and, and really know them. Like you, I remember you were telling me that Simon once like you guys were in a, in a, coffee shop and some woman was like oh chris like i listened to your podcast and i read your book and like you really connected and simon was like that's so cool man like you most people who have fame in any kind of capacity don't get that it's this false view the the fans have a false view of who they really are
0: yeah through through no fault of their own right? right i mean we're talking about simon rex who has various public person personas uh you know, he's a rapper, dirt nasty, he's been in lots of movies, and but in none of his personas is he himself. So no one who recognizes him walking down the street has any idea who he
1: is, really. Until
0: now, Nervous Rex. Nervous Rex, that's right. He's started his own podcast. Yeah, which uh, will
1: eclipse ours immediately, I'm sure. He probably already has. He's he's had one episode. Damn you, Simon. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fucker. Yeah, he had one episode out with Theo Vaughn. Uh, He recorded one with me that's coming in the next few weeks. Uh, I don't know what, what order he's releasing them, but yeah, Nervous Rex happening welcome to the family of
1: podcasters yeah and uh that's the family of hunters which we'll exactly we'll all be going out to hawaii on a a hunting trip soon life is good man hunting podcasters yeah (laughs) um this is great man i uh i appreciate you coming on and um it's just uh it's fun to know you man you too
0: yeah Let's go get some lunch That's
1: good That's our show I'm going to play out the song called Three Foot Tires and Rising by Oppo If you're a musician and you want your music played At the end of this podcast You can email to info at kyle.surf Info at kyle.surf is also Where you can send some audio Where are you in this moment right now Pull out your phone Use the voice memos app to record 30 seconds to a minute of audio. Give me some details about where you are. And I would love to play it at the beginning of the podcast. Thanks once again to Mudwater and to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring this show. If you go to scmedicinals.com, you can get 10% off all of their products using the code word KYLE10. And thanks to everyone who gets the boxes of goodies from my website, kyle.surf slash box of goodies. If you guys don't already listen to Tangentially Speaking, I highly recommend it. It really is one of the best podcasts out there. Um, So there will be a lot of good content for you to dig into over at Tangentially Speaking. And with that, um, get out in the water. I know that I am now that my arm's better. So say hi if you ever see me out there, and uh, hope you enjoy this song by Obo. See you soon.